Hi, this is Steph, Jack, Nancy, Garbanzo Beans. I'm working on that. <clears throat> so here's the thing. I don't have a plan. I'm just jumping on that podcast bandwagon about six months too late. And I'm just going to talk to myself and the abyss that is the internet and see what happens. I don't know if anyone will listen. I don't know if I want anyone to listen. I don't know if I'll be disappointed if no one listens. I guess I just needed something to do. Something to try to do. And hey, we'll find out together, shall we? I'm thinking of sharing things I find interesting in a day. I usually do my own little research. I look into things that... I want to know more about, I wanted initially to be a researcher, but that was ruined for me when I was actually writing my thesis and learned that I don't really have the patience to deal with an ethics board that wouldn't pass me for giving people a survey on physical exercise. So that career path definitely didn't work out. I think it may bring some guests along too. I mean, this is uh, definitely more difficult on your own. And I like getting other people's ideas and other people's viewpoints on a subject. And hey, maybe they'll find what I find interesting, interesting too. For today, though, I am all on my lonesome. And I think I want to start off this whole process talking about what Doctor Who affectionately calls wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. Go big or go home, right? Now that fictional show talks about how people assume time is a progression of cause and effect when it's actually non-linear, non-subjective, and kind of like a big ball. Now, don't ask me if any of that is actually possible. I have less authority on that topic than Seahawk on Adventure. Dear God, that was a very niche reference. I'm so sorry. Blame my wife for that one. She's a sucker for Shira. Adventure! See, while Doctor Who is absolutely a fictional TV show about someone traveling through space and time using a big blue phone box, there is some legitimacy to his description of time and the possibility of time travel, according to the University of Queensland, Australia. A physicist by the name Germain Tobar used mathematical equations to show that time travel can be a variable without paradoxes. There's always the grandfather paradox, which is essentially the idea of, say, you go back in time, stop your parents from ever meeting, how could you exist in the first place to have gone back in time? Tabar's numbers turned out to be consistent with Einstein's theory of general relativity that predicts the existence of time loops or time travel. Basically, an event can be in both the past and future of itself. From what I was reading, Tabar was able to show that the original and altered timelines can fit with the same rules of free will and classical physics which was also predicted by Einstein. See, according to this, if this is correct, 
time wants to happen. So try as you might, even if you wanted to, to create a paradox, you wouldn't be able to. See, this part reminds me of the Umbrella Academy on Netflix. I don't want to give anyone any spoilers if no one's seen it or read the comic books, but there is an apocalypse and people are trying to stop it one way or another and no matter what they do, it wants to happen. It's kind of funny how fiction and science are paired this well together. Tabar, his research is supported by his professor Fabio Costa. He fully supports and says that the math is absolutely correct. While the math works, unfortunately, we're not quite there yet. The technology still doesn't, and while scientists have come up with time machines, they're not capable of existing quite yet. Stephen Hawking even agrees that it's possible to do. Now, to quote this professor Fabio Costa himself, Try as you might to create a paradox. The events will always adjust themselves to avoid an inconsistency. Now, all of this was kind of backstory to bring up Sir Victor Goddard. He was a marshal in the British Royal Air Force. He published a book that was called The Flight Towards Reality in 1975, and it talked about a flight he took in 1935 from Edinburgh, Scotland to Andover, England. This flight started out as it usually would, with no surprises, up until he was passing over an area called Drem in Scotland. There he noticed an abandoned airfield, and that's not that uncommon at that time. It was completely overgrown with vegetation and greenery, and cows and various other animals were grazing there haphazardly. Nothing else was particularly noticeable about that trip. He arrived at his destination, went about his business. It was a few days later that he started to head back to Andover, following the same path he took to get there. As he was approaching Drem in Scotland, he ended up getting caught in a very bizarre storm. The winds were very strong, it was downpouring with rain, and the clouds had a bit of a yellow tinge to them. He actively took steps to clear the clouds, he was trying to just plow through them, but they never seemed to end. He ended up getting quite turned around and confused, and then suddenly he reached a breach of the storm similar to the eye of a hurricane, and beneath him he saw that Drem airfield. Except this time, it wasn't overgrown. There wasn't the same vegetation covering everything, the cows that were grazing previously weren't to be seen, it was brand new. The only difference between this airfield and the ones that he worked on and knew so well was that he couldn't identify the planes. They were yellow in color, they weren't at all the same kind that he was currently flying and the kind that the Royal Air Force actually used. Even the mechanics were wearing a different uniform than the ones from his airbase. After a moment's pause to try and sort himself out in his confusion, he decided it was time to keep going, and so he continued on his path, entering back into the storm. Like I said, it was similar to the eye of a hurricane. There was just the center of it, which was quiet. When he got back to his airfield in Edinburgh, he 
tried to tell his friends and his colleagues about what he'd seen, and they completely dismissed him. They didn't believe a word he said, and, you know, it was just kind of left at that. That is, until roughly four years later, in 1939, when the Drem airfield was actually resurfaced. It became home to the number 13 flying training school. The planes were redesigned, they were painted yellow, and even the mechanics' uniforms were updated. Essentially, everything he had seen on that flight in the eye of that storm had come to pass. Now this is the part where I play devil's advocate. It's not my favorite portion of this, but I do have a scientific mind, so what I feel I have to do is try to explain it outside of what I would like to believe and what I would like to think is possible. Pilots sometimes suffer from hallucinations. There is a drop in atmospheric pressure when you get that high up in the air, creating the sense of thin air, trying to breathe in thin air. And that is known as hypoxia. Hypoxia is a lack of oxygen to the brain. And symptoms of this can be memory loss, poor judgment, inattentiveness, hallucinations, or vision problems. Is it possible that Goddard suffered from brain injury as anoxic brain injury can occur with four to five minutes of your brain being without oxygen? If so, why is it that four years later he actually saw evidence of what he had seen come to pass? Was it an example of, say, confirmation bias? Did he, upon seeing the airfield be remastered, imagine that, oh yeah, that must have been what I saw on that day when I took that flight? The argument against this having been an illusion or a false memory would be that he told his friends and his friends thought he was nuts. I'm no doctor. I won't claim to actually be able to say the extent of a possible injury or what that amount of time with that amount of air pressure could do to a brain. I do have a scientific mind, so I will question these occurrences, but I also have a mind that's open enough to believe that we don't and can't know every possibility on this earth. There are plenty of things that we don't have an explanation for, or that it's a stretch to explain. The possibility of time travel has been noted by many physicists between Germain Tobar, Fabio Costa, Stephen Hawking. It may be possible without a time machine, for all we know. Maybe it just occurs at random with different energies moving through the air. All this electricity and all this technology that we have going on constantly, maybe we're tapping into something else, too. I guess I have no way of knowing. I don't have answers here. I just like to talk about possibilities. And maybe... I'm just stupid in trying to make sense of the world. So I guess that's it for me for now. Um, thanks for listening, and well, I hate the sound of my voice. This is going to be a dick to edit. Ah. 
After a moment's pause to try and figure himself out, that was my phone going off. It was home to the number 13 flying training school now. The airplanes are repainted. Up until four years later, did that pick up that email sound? God damn it. 